want to welcome you to church tonight. We're going to have a great time getting into the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. God, you are good. We love you. We trust you. God, when we have these moments like this that just feel so eternal, being in your presence, we can sense it. We can, we can catch a glimpse, God, of something bigger than us, bigger than today, bigger than this month, bigger than the economy, bigger than everything else in our life, God. You are everything to us. And we come to you tonight desiring to hear from your word, desiring that we would be changed, that we would bring honor and glory to you. So we pray, God, please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are in Mark, and we're in chapter 7. And... Uh, you guys know that, of course, the book of Mark is, we've been in it for a few months, and we know that there's a lot about Mark in the New Testament, actually. He's mentioned and alluded to um, more than any other disciple except for John. So there's a, quite a bit of detail about Mark, and uh, one of the things we know from this book is that he represented the, the part of Jesus that really pointed to Jesus, the servant. And, and he wrote the book of Mark, or the Holy Spirit did through him, like an action movie. It goes from one thing to the next, right? In fact, 39 times the book of Mark says the word immediately. Immediately they did this. And then immediately Jesus did this. And immediately they went here. And it just reads like an action movie. I love it. It's, it's actually my favorite gospel to read and to study. And what we see is that Jesus is represented not only as an agent of change, because that's not enough, but he's represented as someone who comes into the lives of people and circumstances and he makes change. He, he totally brings new life. He totally brings hope to people that felt that they were without hope. And that's what we see in the book of Mark. But probably the most important thing we find in the book of Mark is the eternal purpose of Christ, which is his death and resurrection to take away the sins of the world for all who would believe. So let's dig into our passage. We're going to start in chapter 7, verse 24. Verse 24. It says, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, this is interesting because it looks like in this gospel that Jesus had been so busy in, in the Jewish provinces teaching, healing, changing lives, that he actually went into this area for a bit of a break. 
he, he went into Tyre and Sidon, which is not a Jewish province, and uh, it didn't work because the woman heard of his coming and she hunted him down. Now, Judea is fairly close to Tyre, and so there's a good chance, probably, this woman had heard of the exploits of this rabbi named Jesus. She'd heard what he'd been doing. She saw an opportunity to get help for her daughter. How many of you are parents or have been parents, right? Maybe you're grandparents now, but raise your hand if you're a parent, right? Okay, how many of you know that when your children need something, you will do almost anything to make it happen? And I'm not talking about buying them the latest game system. I'm talking about when they need something, when they need something for their health, when they need something that is really serious, you will do anything to make this happen. This woman hears about Jesus the rabbi, that he's coming, and so she moves on it. She, she wants to be near him. She's a desperate parent. And you see that she falls down and she begs for Jesus to get rid of the demon that's possessing her daughter. The verb form on beg or begging is the present progressive. What that means is that she kept on begging. She was continually begging. She would not give up. How many of you know somebody like that that just will not give up? Well, that was the situation with this woman. She refused to give up and she kept on asking. In fact, when this story is recounted in the book of Matthew, the disciples went to Jesus and said, would you make her stop? So she was persistent. And let me tell you, I don't mean this in any negative sense, but I've met a few moms like that. I've met a few moms. I was a, a school educator, superintendent for years. And I can tell you that there are some moms that become mama bear and they do not let go. There's just no way they press in. This woman probably, can you imagine how she felt her daughter had a demon? There was no way to take care of this problem. There was nobody that could take care of it except for this man, Jesus. All she knew about him was he was a rabbi and he did supernatural things. So she was going to get his attention. All right. So she was driving him crazy. And why was she like this? You know, I've heard it said that there are two types of people, the cowardly and the bold. And I want to tell you, you know, there's three types of people, the cowardly, the bold, and the parent. The parent who will be either one of those if that's what's necessary to help their child. Let's continue to read verse 27. It says, but Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had gone to her, come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Now, just honestly speaking, does this seem like an insult to you? I mean, when I have read this my whole life, and every time I read this, I'm like, oh, that sounds harsh. You don't take the children's bread and feed it to the little dogs? What are you calling her a bow-wow? 
You know, it always seemed harsh. But of course, we know that Jesus has a purpose for everything he does. And we know that Jesus is loving. But I, I've struggled with that. Did you guys hear the extraterrestrial craft <laughs> coming in? Anyway, I used to think it was harsh of Jesus to say this, but really what we see here is that Jesus begins to treat this like a parable. And a parable means a metaphor or a likeness. We've talked about the parables. Now, the interesting thing is, is in the book of Mark up to this time, nobody has understood Jesus' parables uh, on their own. The disciples haven't gotten it. Jesus has had to explain it. But I want you to notice something interesting about this woman who is a Gentile. She's not a Jew. And supposedly, she doesn't have access to the things of the Jews. And yet, she understands his metaphor. She understands his parable. Let's take a look. So we see here that he uses this word for dog, but honestly, it was an unusual word for dog. It means little dog or puppy. And you, you guys know that in the Jewish culture at that time, animals like dogs were considered completely unclean. They were unacceptable. They were generally wild beasts Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. I'm sure there were the occasional rich family or something that might have had a pet. But for the most part, culturally, dogs were considered disgusting and unclean. Yet here's Jesus. He uses this term, and, and this word means small dog or puppy. And this woman understood this reference. And the reason that she understood it, and of course Jesus knew this, is that Jews considered all Gentiles to be unclean. Jews called Gentiles dogs, but not the little puppy. They literally called the same word for a female dog. So the Jews looked at the Gentiles as though they were completely unclean. This woman understood Jesus' reference, but what would have caught her attention was the tenderness of the word puppy. Why should I take the food meant for children and give it to a little puppy? Now you have to remember also that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. And the prophecy was when the Messiah would come that he would share and do miracles to the people of Israel, to the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. He was not yet at the point where he was openly ministering to Gentiles, although he had hinted about it and talked about it, and we see the theme woven all throughout the Old Testament and into the New. Jesus had not yet do it, but when does he do it? The Great Commission, openly. Do you remember that? He says, go into all the world, baptizing all nations. That was the last thing he said to the disciples before he ascended. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it was, open, it was at that point, it's like, I've come for the Jews, I fulfilled the prophecy, and I am openly opening this up to all nations, to the Gentiles. So he's saying to this woman, he's saying, why should I take the, the food that belongs to the children and give it to the little puppy? I want to tell you that this woman had more working against her than just being a Gentile. The truth was is that women were marginalized culturally. In fact, if a woman was going to court as a witness, 
it would take the word of three women to equal the word of one man. Because women were marginalized. They were not well respected at the time. And of course we know that Jesus did not treat women that way. In fact, that's why I love the fact that it was this woman, a Gentile, who understood the parable revealed to her. And we know that Jesus uh, used uh, the opportunity to minister to women and women ministered with him. And they're the ones that the angel appeared to at the tomb. We could go on and on. But she was not religiously acceptable. She was not acceptable because she was a woman. She was marginalized. She was considered unclean because she was a Gentile. And her daughter had a demon, another sign of being unclean. So when Jesus says to her the dog reference, but he says tenderly a little dog or puppy, she understood that he, what he was saying to her. He had not come for her, but he had come for his people first and then the Gentiles. And as a parent, she understood the concept that you don't feed your pets before you feed your children. That would be out of order. What's amazing is she didn't argue about her status. She didn't defend her right as a human being, and she could have. In respect, down on the ground, bowed down on her face, she cries out. And she answers back to Jesus, I know that I'm not one of your people, but even I can benefit from your leftovers. Even I can benefit from your leftovers. Whatever you can do for my daughter, I know that it will help her. I believe in you. I believe in your power. I know that even the crumbs, even the leftovers could help my child. She wasn't depending on what she deserved, her rights, or her merit to get something from Jesus. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She is saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. I'm going to say that again. She wasn't saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. It wasn't her goodness. It was about his goodness. And we can all learn from this. Sometimes I feel like so many of us are afraid to reach out to God, afraid to reach out to Christ. We somehow feel like, you know, we weren't good enough today to pray. We didn't say the right things. We, we're not doing the right things. We're not dressing right. We're not always good parents or good children or whatever. And we think based on that, we can or cannot come to God. But we know, you know, that it's not about your works. You know it's about the grace and the mercy of God. You have been told that your entire Christian life, and yet some of us still today hide under the burden of feeling not good enough and like it's up to us. This woman didn't think that. She recognized that she didn't deserve it. 
but she still asks because God is good. We need to approach Jesus believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that he's for us, and that he desires to give good gifts to his children. We're to have faith in him, not faith in faith. We're to have faith in Jesus, not faith in saying all of the words in a certain order that creates some kind of formula. Do you understand? It's faith in the goodness of God. It's calling out and being dependent upon God, surrendering to him. We believe in his goodness, not our own. It's only until you realize that you have no leverage in your position before God that you finally begin to hear and understand his voice. I firmly believe this. It's only when you realize you have no leverage in your position uh, from yourself before God that you will finally begin to hear and understand his voice. Just like the Gentile woman She had nothing to offer Jesus. She had to lean on his grace alone. God's grace is enough. Faith in God and his goodness is enough. Understanding that the answer is sometimes yes, the answer is sometimes no, and the answer is sometimes wait is enough. Let's look at verse 31. We're going to read about another miracle. It says, Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. So Jesus leaves Tyre and Sidon, which is a Gentile province. Remember, that's where Jezebel, remember uh, Queen Jezebel was from there, right? So uh, give you an idea of, it was a wicked place. It was definitely not a Jewish province, right? So anyway, Jesus leaves Tyre and Sidon and he heads to the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee or the Gennesaret. They're, they all mean the same, the same place. Depending on your translation, it could, but it's all the same place. And notice that others brought this man for healing. This was one of those times where his friends helped him out. Uh, It reminds me of the story of the paralytic. Remember when Jesus was teaching and they pulled the roof off and lowered the man? This is a similar type of thing where they bring their friend who is deaf and uh, he has a speech impediment and they bring him to Jesus and they beg, please lay your hand on him. In other words, just touch him and heal him. We know that you can do it. Verse 33 says, And he took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. 
We've talked about how that Jesus heals all of these miracles that he's done. He's done in different ways. He, he's, he's done different things with it, right? And, and this is no different. Here, he decided to pull this man aside privately. He pulled him away from the multitude to, to heal him, to deal with him. I don't know why he didn't do it in front of everybody, but he knew what was best for the man. He knew what was best for the situation. And it's interesting that Jesus does touch each person in a way that's unique and meaningful for them. And I think it's because if he didn't, like Pastor Derek said, I think it was last week, he said that, or two weeks ago, he said that we would make a system out of it. You know, we would start trying to do everything that way. However, you know, if Jesus healed everybody the same way, then we would be doing that. And in this way, uh, you know, that's, that's not the case. But I think it's even more than that. I think it's more than him not wanting us to make a system out of it. I think that it's because he wanted to uniquely touch people in a way that meant something to them. It was something meaningful to them to touch a leper to heal him. Somebody who hasn't been touched means something, right? And and everything that Jesus did was meaningful. So here, he asks this guy, aside from the multitude, to heal him privately. And I just want to point out a few of the differences in the healings that we have seen and will see. Uh, Jesus heals both publicly and privately. He spoke healing at a distance, and he reached out to touch people. Sometimes it was him that did the touching, and sometimes someone touched him. Uh, healing sometimes came with a teaching or sometimes with a warning. He was both asked for healing and he healed without being asked. So he, he did it in different ways. And perhaps it's so we wouldn't try to make a formula, like I said, and build the first church of he spits. The first church of the little dogs. The first church of stick out your hand. The first church of rip off the roof. I don't know. You know, we're weird. Human beings are weird. And so we like to build systems and and formulas and do everything the same way. And yet Jesus moves, the Holy Spirit moves according to the will of God. Here, Jesus puts his fingers in the ears of the man and he touches his tongue with saliva. So the picture is that, um, and I've tried to figure out how this might not be true, but I just don't see it, is that Jesus took some of his own spit and he touched the man's tongue. Now, why did he stick the fingers in the ear and why did he touch the man's tongue? I don't know. And everything I've read, everyone says, I don't know. We, we don't know why, but it's okay that Jesus did it that way. He could have just set back and spoken or even thought it, and the man would have been healed. But he knew what this man needed. Maybe it was because the man was deaf and he couldn't hear what Jesus was saying, and so he wanted to, maybe it was almost like sign language. The man understood exactly what was happening. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, to Ari, my assistant, and she um, is from Italy. And she was telling me about when she first came to, actually when she she went to school in London for a while. And when she first got there, she didn't speak English very well. And uh, she said that it was like being in her own world. 
Uh, she may have understood some of what was being said, but as far as other people understanding her, she could not make herself be understood, and she felt like nobody knew her. And it was just really difficult for her. And I was wondering, maybe somehow Jesus wanted to enter this man's world in a very personal way, somebody who hasn't felt like he was part of the world or part of anyone. I don't know why he did it. Jesus did it this way, but he did it. It's an incredibly personal act and very powerful. But let's not make a system or a doctrine out of spitting on people, okay? <laughs> Verse 36. says, Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. You know, it makes sense that they told everybody what happened, even though Jesus told them not to. It makes sense because that is really the only response to encountering the power of God. The only response to encountering God's power and the moving in your life to this degree is to tell people, right? The, the very love that you have experienced, the mercy and grace that's been poured out in your life, don't you share that with people? Don't you want to tell people what God has done, how he helped you financially, or how he healed your body, or how he helped your marriage? There's so many things that God has done in our lives, and of course that reaction is to tell people. So it totally makes sense. And it says they were astonished. You know, they were over the moon. They were amazed at what God or Jesus had done. And they said, he has done all things well. He has done all things well. Listen, this really links together every miracle. He has done all things well. The, the way that he set the woman's daughter free, you may not have liked the fact that he said he referred to her as a little dog. You may not have liked it, and yet the Bible says everything he does, he does well. You may not like the fact that you've prayed and you've been waiting and waiting for God to move in some way, and yet the Bible says he does all things well. You may not like the fact that your son or daughter, your teenager, or your adult child is not following God and you've prayed and you haven't seen the change yet, and yet the word says he does all things well. You've been asking for a new job. It hasn't happened yet. He does all things well. What does this mean? This means that we don't always understand it right now. Tristan said it in her prayer at the end of the song. We may not understand it all right now. We may not get it, but we know this. We know we can trust Almighty God. When we pour our lives out to him, when we go to him, not based on our trumped-up goodness, not based on our religion, but just based on the fact of his goodness and that we're completely dependent on him and we surrender our needs to him, we can trust him to move. And he moves in the time and he moves in the way that is most significant for us. 
while you're busy comparing how he works in somebody else's life and you want him to work the same way in your life, but God has a better plan for you. He has the one that is right for you. And you've been wrestling against it and fighting against it, kicking against the goads a bit. But God desires that we would surrender and trust him. I am no different from you, of course. I go through the same thoughts sometimes when I have prayed and I've asked and I want the answer now and I want it the way I want it, not the way he wants it sometimes. Even though I say all the right stuff, you know, I can be very churchy. I can pray, oh God, Move in our hearts, move in my life. God, I have this opportunity and, you know, you just do what you want to do. Open the door if it's you and if it's not, close the door and he closes the door and I am angry. (laughs) I am angry. I'm like, God, where are you? Why? Why? And really what that is is that's my flesh wanting to be in control of my own life. It's my flesh wanting to decide what's right or wrong instead of trusting in the sovereignty of God. If I have gone to him knowing he's good and in faith I say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Move in my life. If I say that, then I'm going to have to take a breath and I'm going to have to trust him and know that he has done all things well. Yeah, come on, give him praise. Every miracle in this book of Mark, every word in the Bible, every prayer he has answered in the way we want and in the way we didn't want, one day we will see that they were all working together for our good. All that he has done has been done well by the omnipotent and omniscient Savior. Do you know that Jesus cares for you like this? He cares for you just like he cares for this deaf man that people probably in his community thought he was very insignificant. He was probably an outcast. We know that the woman whose daughter was possessed was an outcast. And yet Jesus cared for them. He cares for you. He cares for every situation in your life. Have you personally put your trust and faith in Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Have you surrendered to him? Or if you're a believer, do you just need a touch from Jesus tonight? Are you weary? Do you feel dry? Do you feel like your faith has dwindled? Do you need a touch? Do you have a need in your life? Do you have need for healing of your relationships or healing of your body? Do you have a financial need? Do you need a miracle? The truth is, is he knows what you need and how you need it and when you need it. Come to him believing on the basis of his goodness, whether or not you think you deserve it. 
It's based on his goodness. I um, was talking to someone earlier this week, and uh, they were mentioning that, you know, they needed a miracle, and but they didn't feel comfortable asking for it because they got themselves into this situation. And... Um, you know, there's a, a saying that people think is from the Bible, but it's not. It's folk wisdom that's not very wise at all. And it's the saying, God helps those who help themselves. That is not really in the Bible. See, everyone that comes to God, everyone that comes to Jesus needing help, is someone who has failed in some way. Whether they have failed in one thing or many things, we're guilty of breaking all the law. So you're not coming to Jesus today or to God the Father asking for a miracle based on how good you have been. I hope not. Or how many faith, faithy, churchy words you can say. Or how elaborate your prayers can be. How churchy you can sound. How educated you, you sound. Or how you can shake when you raise your hands. None of that impresses God. He wants us, the real us, who just come saying, God, you're God. I'm not God, but I need you and I know you're good. Show me, help me, fill me, save me, change me, God. So you come and you ask and you trust him. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here and the worship team to come up. And we're going to spend some time in prayer tonight. And I'm not rushing. By the way, I need to get this message, this announcement out now because otherwise somebody's going to yell at me. At the end of the service, when everything's all over with, we have canes outside on the patio. <laughs> Buy some chicken and eat it. And stay around and fellowship with one another. Pick up your kids or whatever. Come over, get them some canes. Okay, that announcement's done. <laughs> but I want to say right now about prayer. You guys, this is important. This is something crucial, and these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to pray with you. We want to believe with you. We want to come to God on your behalf. And so you may be here tonight, and you may be thinking, I don't even know Jesus, and I want to know him, and I don't know how. What do I do? You're going to come down here, and you're going to ask somebody up front. You may be thinking, you know what? I need a miracle or I'm just dry and I, I need a touch from Jesus. Or I just honestly need to talk to someone. I want you to come forward. We're going to spend some time praying. And then I, I, we'll all sing a song together at the end, okay? Are you guys good with that? Let's pray together right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord. and We admit our need for you. We know, Father, that we are not perfect. And many of us here tonight 
may feel dry, may feel like we have sinned recently and that we need to confess and we, we need forgiveness. And Some of us feel like we've been faking it because we have some relationship issues and we have some stuff going on that we have just been kept secret because we just don't want anybody to know. But God, you already know. And you want to touch and heal and change. You want your light to shine on the very darkest places. And so we need you. We praise you, God. We worship you, Father. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in us.